Welcome to the Ozone. Welcome to the Ozone. Welcome to the Ozone. Welcome to the Ozone. The voice of massive magic fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Ozone Podcast, the voice of magic fans. In the virtual studio today, we have Justin. Yo. Al. What's going on? Myself, Anthony, and a very special guest joining us, former Magic Forward and current broadcasting announcer, Jeff Turner. Hey guys, glad to be here. Thank you for coming on, Jeff. How how are you uh, doing? Doing pretty good. I'm uh, staying busy during this off time. So what's happened is my season's cut short, as you guys know. So all the things that my wife had set aside, you, you guys probably not old enough to know, but you have honeydew chores, right? In the summer, <laughs> when the season's over, and so that's what I've been doing. I've been accomplishing that. So I'm running out of things. I need the season to come back before she continues to find more things for me to do. <laughs> it seems like those things never end, huh? <laughs> they, they don't. I don't know how this list keeps expanding. It seems like it should be a finite list of things to do. And at least I could maybe get out and get on my bike or play golf or something but it just doesn't seem to work like that <laughs> if if your wife is anything like my wife she went up finding more and new new challenges and, and objectives to do for the household sounds like uh there's a, a lot in common between our wives <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so uh, other than that jeff what, what are some of the things that you've been doing to kind of keep yourself busy during this time frame well, again, I just, um, uh, you know, from an exercise standpoint, you know, I get out. I am getting out. We get out and walk quite a bit. Um, you know, I've, you know, my projects that have kept me busy around the house. I've, uh, I've built a new patio on my back, uh, oh, in the nice. back of my house. And yeah, it's, it's been fun. I'm just trying different things. Um, and now that things have begun to open up a little bit more, um, trying to get out I, i've just been very cautious um so i'm trying to get out maybe play golf once a week at least um just to get outside i just love being outside yeah. so spend a lot of time outdoors uh anyway so um you know just kind of waiting and you know watching a lot of uh replays of old games and you know whether they're classic magic games or um you know stuff that's playing um you know, the old the NBA finals, you know, they've been rerunning everything. So doing a lot of reading, just trying to stay ready if this thing ever gets, gets going again. How are you feeling about the uh, the Last Dance documentary? It's kind of been on everyone's to watch list. And that's and that's been fun. Um, you know, it's uh, it's been fun for me uh, for a couple of reasons. One is my uh, my two daughters are they're 26 and 23 now. So my oldest was. Uh, born just as my career was finishing up uh, she was two when I retired and my youngest uh, never really you know obviously other than videos and things like that has really never seen uh, action where I'm in the game in fact you know those two have grown up in the LeBron Kobe era and they've always questioned whether the video that I have is all fake news, that it, it can't possibly <laughs> you know I can't possibly be athletic enough to have played with LeBron and Kobe and I and I always tell them, well, you know, someday maybe you'll get you'll see video of a guy by the name of Michael Jordan, who, you know, I, I had a chance to play with in 1984 on the Olympic team, plus you know, compete head to head 
um, you know, through the 80s and 90s. So um, it's been fun kind of watching the series through their eyes and they're getting an appreciation for not only how good Michael was, but the intensity um, that he played with. That is awesome. Now, how has it felt for you to go back in time and watching those old games uh, as you were watching the Magic back in the days? To go back and watch, you know, the Shaq and Penny era, watching yourself play with those guys, how good does that feel to, to relieve those moments again? You know, it's it's fun. I think from now, you know, having, now that I'm, you know, my job is as an analyst, uh, look at the game, you know, I, I did a little bit of coaching at the high school level um, here. And so the thing I find interesting, you know, going back and, and watching the classic games, for instance, um, and you go back and, you know, those 89, 90 teams, and, and you really go back and you look at the way the game was played, the, the spacing on the floor. It was very, uh, everything was inside the three-point line, a um, lot of post-ups. And then you kind of move forward, and it's not that long of a period, four or five years, where now you add Shaquille O'Neal into the mix, and you begin to see, if you watch the games, so now Nick Anderson and Dennis Scott, are drifting further and further from the basket. There's more spacing. Yes, it's post-center because Shaquille's in there, but now because he's drawing double teams, it really opens up the floor. So I think just watching how the game changed just in those five, six years from when the Magic started um, is really kind of interesting. And, and just from a strategy of watching the way Matt Gukas coached the team and then Brian Hill, once mm -hmm. he got uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway, the way it changed. And then on top of that, the development of Nick Anderson and Dennis Scott. I, just from those very first games and just watching those two, um, and they were terrific basketball players. And I just don't think they get enough credit um, when we start talking about those teams and especially that 94-95 team. When you, when you watch those games now, does it still surprise you of how much the game has changed since then? The way it that, really the, does the style yeah. of the game and how it is now. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it really is interesting. It was a funny. Uh, I think. I think in that first, the first classic game they showed, I believe, was the. Uh, it was. It was the uh, the win over Detroit in the preseason. Um, so I'm sitting there with my daughter watching the game. I get an offensive rebound and I'm going back up, and Scott Hastings, who was a member of the Pistons at the time, just just levels me i mean just you know arm head, <laughs> on the head across the head and my daughter just was like screams and she's like dad he just tried to take your head off and i said well that's the way we played back back then <laughs> you know there was no no easy layups to put people at the free throw line it was a, just a different era right i mean you guys you know and watching it are probably shocked you know sometimes at you know the the amount of contact the jordan rules and mm -hmm. the way the pistons played them even those great Knicks teams of the 90s with Pat Riley were very physical. The game, I think, in some ways, well, I won't say some ways, in a lot of ways is better today because there is more freedom of movement. Um, and so, you know, they, they protect the players a little bit more and we see the athleticism and everything. But the competitive part of those games in the 80s and 90s in particular it's hard to match that um, because you had to earn everything. Uh, right. And it didn't matter if you were Jeff Turner or Michael Jordan. You had to earn it. <laughs> yeah, um, right. And that's just the way the game was played. Yeah. And now, in your opinion, does, 
do you wish the game was more like it used to be, that, like that that old school way, <laughs> that old school basketball? Personally, even though I'm a little younger, I, I do miss when I watch the highlights of, of Jordan and the, the old school, the bad boys, the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> I kind of wish and say, hey, I wish you know that would happen today. That you could see LeBron going for a layup and just get taken out. Like you don't see that anymore. <laughs> um, so, in your opinion, would that be better for the game, or you think it's it's improved uh, with well, the new rules? I- I think that the game itself, the way it's played with the spacing, um, the movement, the way the rules are set up, in that sense, the game is better. I do think at times, you know, and it's just the way it is, I do think that we protect the offensive player quite a bit. Um, You know, the the consistency of being able to referee hand-checking and bumps in the lane and, and things like that, it really does give a lot of advantage to the offensive player. Um, which probably is what fans want. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, you know, it's it's hard to say. I think maybe a happy me is somewhere in between. <laughs> not the, you know, not those uh, those grueling 93-86 games where, you know, the fourth quarter everybody's scoring at the free throw line. That, nobody mm-hmm. wants to watch that. Um, but still, you know, from a defensive standpoint, you know, Everything is not an intentional flagrant foul. Sometimes it's just a hard foul. Um, right. And so I think, you know, there's, there is, a, there is a, a common ground, maybe a middle that we could reach on that that would make the game better. But it's, it's hard to argue with how good the game of basketball is right now. That's a pretty interesting take. So for some of us, let's say we're not familiar um, or as familiar with Jeff Turner. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what growing up was like, how you're your love for basketball was shaped and, and some of those influential players that you looked up to, um, you know, on, on kind of your trajectory into, into playing basketball. Okay. Well, you know, so, you know, I grew up in a, an era where you really didn't specialize, right. You just played everything. Um, and so my first love was baseball. I, you know, my, when I was a kid, I, you know, I didn't dream of being in the NBA. I, I dreamed of, you know, one day, um, you know, pitching, you know, for the, for the Braves or, you know, something, wow. you know, along those lines or playing first base, hitting a home run or anything. My, my hero growing up was Hank Aaron. I, you know, I just, uh, you know, I was a Braves fan. I grew up in central Florida. Um, and so that was, that was our team, you know, all the Atlanta, the Superstation teams. Right. Um, and so, you know, I followed, his career and, you know, his journey and just, and loved him. Um, and it wasn't until later, um, that I got, got into basketball and then, you know, you, you know, you're, you get drawn to stars. Right. And for me, for, you know, growing up, you know, as a, as a kid in the, in the early seventies and everything, there's this guy that played in the ABA and then went on with the New Jersey Nets, you know, with the big Afro named Julius <laughs> Irving, went by Dr. J. And, yeah. and we all, you know, you know, lowered the goal in our yards and, and tried to do all the things that Dr. J could do. Um, so, you know, that was my, my first uh, uh, real basketball influence. When it was the, the great story is when I got to high school, um, I, I, I still love baseball. That was still my, my favorite sport. So um, I tried out my, my sophomore year. Uh, I was about 6'5". Um, so I went to try out for the baseball team. And 
there was a senior that played first base and pitched a little bit in front of me and everything. And I'll never forget the coach, nice guy, his pulled me aside and he said, you know, Jeff, there comes a time when we have to make a decision on what sport we play. And I'm thinking maybe that you need to decide on basketball. So in, in his way, he was cutting me from baseball. He was telling me my baseball career was over. <laughs> my strike zone was too big. I couldn't hit a curveball, um, and that I needed to move on to basketball. So from that time on, that's pretty much it. I, you know, I dedicated myself to, you know, getting better, and I grew to uh, about six eight uh, by my senior year of uh, high school, and, um, and that was it. Got recruited by uh, several schools, mostly in the South. Uh, and chose to go to Vanderbilt University um, and four years there and then on to the NBA. I think I think that's interesting because there's always been discussions held that um, it, it's there's a lot of benefits for an athlete that plays different sports and how that is able to contribute to, you know, whatever your main sport is. So how do you feel as if whatever you learn in baseball really transitions to your game on uh, on the on the hardwood? Yeah, I, I think that's I think there's a lot of truth to that, guys. I, I think, um, you know, the first thing I think is is if you play multiple sports or, you know, you, you dabble in them, um, whatever that may be. The first thing is, is you just kind of learn um, you learn to be a competitor. Right. And then, you know, the advantage is, I think there are very few people that are great in all things. Right. Like so. You know, I thought I was a pretty good baseball player, but obviously I got to a point where, it, you know, I wasn't necessarily a star or anything like that. Basketball, you know, I, for high school and into college, you know, I was a starter. I was one of the guys. Playing those multiple sports growing up where you're not always the best, I think it, you appreciate um, the work that, it go, that goes in to being really good at one sport. Um, teaches you a little humility <laughs> at times <Yeah>. as well. <laughs> um, and so I think that's important. And I also think the cross training, you know, the, you know, baseballs requires a lot of, you know, hand-eye coordination, um, things like that. It's a, you know, it's, it's very detail oriented. And I think all those things help me uh, as a basketball player eventually. Awesome. Yeah. And excited. That, that's usually how, how it is. You know, when you play multiple sports, eventually some of those skills you learned in the past help you later on in yeah. your career. Now, talking a little bit about basketball and, and sports in general, um, growing up, who were some of the of your favorite uh, besides baseball and in, in basketball specifically? Who do you shape your game uh, after? Well, you know, I think I, I told you I was, you know, a fan of uh, Dr. J. But, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you look at highlights, I didn't possess any of the skills that <laughs> Dr. J, from a physical standpoint, uh, possessed. Um, so, you know, you start, you know, you start looking at different players and, you know, you, who you, you know, who you like, who you don't like. Um, you know, I was always a, um, because of Julia Serving. You know, kind of growing up being a fan of his, I became a Philadelphia 76er fan. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, watching them a little bit, seeing who could jump, Bobby Jones, who, who you know, was a, a great player from North Carolina, um, just, you know, kind of a jack of all trades, could do, you know, shoot it a little bit, was a great defender, things like that. Again, 
probably he's a little bit more athletic than me uh, <laughs> growing up in the south and watching sec basketball um i was always uh drawn to you know a guy like uh, a, a dan issel uh who played at kentucky um knew a lot of you know just I mean, there are just so many. I mean, I, I was always – I was one of those kids back in my day, you know, you didn't have um, basketball on every night. You had to wait for the, you know, That's true. the uh, Sunday game of the week on CBS or, or whatever that was. Um, and so then you're exposed to so many more uh, more players and everything. So, um, you know, it's just kind of fun just watching guys, you know, as I got bigger and stronger and thought, okay, well, I'm going to be a post player or something like that. You know, I'd watch um, the great Bob McAdoo, um, you know, a big guy that could shoot it a little bit. Truck Robinson that, you know, played with the Knicks a little bit uh, for a long time. You know, guys like that. And you're thinking, you know, that's, you know, those are guys like I'd be like to be that guy or something. So I don't know if there's any one player, but you just, you know, I, I always say whether it was like I was playing tennis or baseball or whatever it was. We learned by watching guys on TV and stuff, mm -hmm. and then you would go out and you would try to mimic them, right? Like you would try to, you know, shoot like uh, your favorite player or, you know, if you're playing tennis, you know, could you serve like John McEnroe or, you know, the one of those guys and just kind of um, you just learned how to play that game more by just repetition and mimicking guys. And so, um you know, we, we just made it a game of how many guys we could do. Do you guys remember, like, <laughs> playing baseball? You guys remember, have you ever seen video of the great uh, uh, Louis Tiant, that, you know, played for pitch for the Red Sox and everything? Mm -hmm. He would, you know, he was this guy that would, he would turn his back in his windup. He would come so far back, he would look into center field and then come around and throw. And so, you know, if you, you know, we'd be playing out in the sandlot and it was like, oh, today you're that guy, you know, um, <laughs> and that's how we learn. That's, you know, we'd watch and we'd just imitate. So I don't know if that answers your question, but, you know, it was like everybody, you were a fan of everybody. Thinking about, you know, what Dr. J meant to you as a fan and him playing for the Nets, although the New York Nets at that time and you being drafted by the New Jersey Nets. How did having a similarity to a player that you enjoyed watching? Um, yeah. How did that? How did that draft process work for you? Well, the the draft. Um, there's you know the great story um, with the draft is you know that when we watch the NBA draft nowadays, it's a, it's a big production, right? You know, it's mm -hmm. like you've got all this going on. The players are all there. They're in the green room. Um, my draft in 1984, which, you know, a lot of people think is one of the greatest draft classes in history. Um, the seniors, a lot of us uh, were in Bloomington, Indiana. We were a part of the 1984 Olympic team, uh, at least six, six or seven of us. Um, there were 23 teams in the NBA then. Um, there weren't really opportunities um, to be seen like there are today i think you know as far as from a television standpoint it was you know we were in televised games but you really didn't see other conferences as much back in the early 80s not till espn kind of came along and did big east basketball um, you might be able to catch some west coast games so when the draft comes you really don't know a lot of these you know the guys the names on the list 
Um, so I'm in Bloomington, Indiana. And so what happens is the guys that are draft eligible, they took us to a television studio uh, in Bloomington. And we're all sitting in a conference room. Uh, and so I'm sitting in a conference room with Michael Jordan and Sam Perkins. Uh, it's uh, Alvin Robertson, Vern Fleming, Leon Wood. We're all sitting here and we're waiting. What they would do is you're listening, can't see what's going on, but you're listening to the draft. And so, you know, it comes on that, you know, Akeem Olajuwon goes to the Rockets, Sam Bowie to Portland with a third pick in the NBA draft. Chicago Bulls select Michael Jordan. So Michael gets up out of his seat and he walks into the television studio where they've got a chair. And so they, you know, put the, uh, the headset on him and he's talking to Louis Carnesecca and Al Albert, they're the guys that are doing the, the draft. And they have a little exchange. And then Michael gets up and he goes and he sits in the television station waiting room, right? But he doesn't come back into the conference room where we are. So we have no idea. Where is Michael? Is he sitting on the van waiting for the rest of us or what? Go down. Sam Perkins is taken, I think, with the fourth pick. Uh, Alvin Robertson, maybe eighth, Leon Wood, 10th. And I remember sitting in there, it's just Vern Fleming and I are the only ones in the conference room. Neither of us have any idea who's going to select us. We haven't heard. Nobody's contacted us. We don't have a phone in our hand talking to our agents or anything like that. Didn't have cell phones. No way to get in touch. <laughs> and we're going along. And so with the 16th pick, the Utah Jazz select John Stockton. The New Jersey Nets are on the clock. I haven't talked to New Jersey. I have no idea. Vern Fleming is from New York, um, and he knows, and he's like, he's hoping he doesn't go to New Jersey because apparently New Jersey's not very good. Um, <laughs> and so with the 17th pick, the New Jersey Nets select Jeff Turner out of Vanderbilt University. So I am in shock. I had no idea. I don't know much about New Jersey at that time. Um, and so I go and I go into the uh, to the studio and in the background, I can hear booze going on. Right. And my headset. Oh, no, it's but, you know, it's like here's a kid. I play in the Southeastern Conference in New Jersey. Remember, the television's different. I'm guessing in New York City, they're probably not watching a lot of SEC basketball especially Vanderbilt University. So they got no clue. And I'm like, well, okay, that's the way it goes. But I'm thinking the whole time, I got to get out of here. I just, I'm starving. I got to go get something to eat. We got practice in an hour. I'm thinking two things. Man, I hope Michael's not waiting on that van because he'll be pissed, right? And then I'm thinking, man, I hope Vern gets picked really quick so we can get out of here so I can go get something to eat. Vern gets selected with the very next pick by the Indiana Pacers. Sure enough, Jordan and them, they're not on the van. They're waiting for us. We all go in. We all go to McDonald's. We get something to eat, right? And then we go to practice. So that's my draft story. A um, little bit different than what you see now. Um, Just a little bit. <laughs> didn't get to celebrate. Didn't get to put on my Nets cap or anything like that. I had to go right to the gym and listen to Bobby Knight scream at me for an hour. So probably <laughs> not what most people uh, experience on their draft night.
I think it's awesome to to hear the difference of how communication is from how it was then to now. You know, yeah. if you're you're sitting down listening to the radio to find out, you know, when you're getting drafted to where now players are finding out firsthand through Twitter, through ESPN Watch, Shams. So it's crazy how different the times really, not just on the court, but how we intake communication as well. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. I mean, you know, the like the player workouts um, now, you know, where players go around and they work out for the different teams. Um, you know, that just wasn't really something that the NBA teams were doing a lot of uh, back then. Now, they did have a kind of a combine thing that was called the Aloha Classic, where you went out to Hawaii, uh, the top seniors in the country. I did do that. Um, you know, they took all your measurements and, and all that stuff, and you got to play games for about three or four days. Um, so, you know, there was a little bit of exposure. And then, obviously, the Olympic trials, um, every NBA GM, scout, or whatever was, was there evaluating because that was a great spot because you had, you know, a lot of the best players in the country all in one place. Um, but yeah, you didn't have the contact that you're talking about, you know, the agents on the phone and trying to figure out where you're going to be picked. Um, you know, it's really amazing is even, I, you know, I think, um, people find it hard to believe is I, I really don't think Michael had no idea where he was going to be picked, which is hard to believe. Right. You know, it's, right. uh, um, I think he's, you know, made it very clear that not going number one or two was, you know, he understood, he considered it a slight, um, and uh, whatever it is, 36 years later, you know, we all ended up paying for it. So for that slight uh, and probably if it was a do over, it might be different. Sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So so from the Nets, you spent some time overseas in Italy, but then you you managed to come back into the NBA and find a home in Orlando. And yeah. man, what what a run that was. What would you say would be um, your favorite moment or memory with, you know, the, the special run that you had in the mid 90s? Oh man, um, you know there was just just so many. Uh, you know, it was, uh, for me, you know, I went overseas. You know, my my tenure with the Nets was not not the greatest. Um, I you know the play was you know okay. I was on some. My first year, we were a pretty good team. We made the playoffs twice when I was with New Jersey, um, um, but I felt like I needed to. Uh, really get my love of the game back and had an opportunity to go overseas and play. But when the magic then in 89 got an expansion team and I was hoping to come back, um, to the NBA, um, I called my agent and said, look, you know, I want to give this another shot. I'm ready. Um, I would love to go to Orlando. Um, that's where I'm from. That's where my family is. Um, so that would be a great homecoming for me. Um, got lucky in that you know I, I i worked out it was interesting i worked out for the minnesota timberwolves who were also a uh expansion team that year uh that was kind of a free agent camp and then i came back uh to or came down to orlando and worked out individually for uh john gabriel pat williams and matt gukas um and ended up getting a free agent contract so being a part of that first team you know obviously the excitement in Orlando, having grown up in Central Florida with no professional sports, I, I really, I felt like I really had a special appreciation for what this really meant uh, to the city of Orlando. Um, and then, really, once it started, and the energy that was in the building and the city, 
I mean, you, you go to the games and, you know, nowadays with ticket prices and everything, people, for the most part, they'll buy their season tickets and you can't go to all 41 games. But back then, everybody, it was the same people in the seats all the time. It was, it was new, it was exciting. So for me, I guess the, the, the exciting part of the whole thing is the growth of that team. Uh, three years of really being an expansion team, uh, taking our lumps, and then, you know, we're going, uh, what was it, 21 and, you know, whatever, 21 games in our third year, enough to get us the number one pick by the lottery and have the chance to get a player like Shaquille. Um, it, it just changed everything. It changed the way we traveled. It's, uh, you know, the, the all of a sudden – now with Shaquille, um, you know, the DeVosses have come on. We've got a private plane. We're moving in that direction. Um, we're staying at the best hotels now. Um, it just changed our entire direction. And then so quickly, that's the most amazing thing to me. Basically, you're looking in five, six years from an expansion team to now, you know, playing in front of a packed house every night because, you know, even the year after you get Penny Hardaway and you've got two of the most exciting young players in the league, you're no longer playing in a half-empty arena on the road. Uh, everybody's coming to see. It became like we were a traveling rock band. I mean, you know, people <laughs> were waiting at the hotel. They wanted to, um, you know, just get a glimpse of Shaquille and Penny. Um, so I guess for me, I, I just – that whole time period of that growth was really, really special. And then, you know, obviously the, um, the run uh, in 94, 95, I mean, you think about that guys, you've watched now, you've had a chance to watch the classic games and everything. So in 94, 95, when that started, you know, we had not even won a playoff series yet. We were eliminated right. by Indiana, swept in the year before. Yep. So that Boston series, you know, that first round Boston series in that year, um, that's really our first playoff win. Can you imagine? I mean, it just doesn't happen. And to be it all the way to the NBA finals and, oh, by the way, you know, beating Michael Jordan um, to get through to the semifinals. I mean, you know, you just, it just doesn't happen. So I think that makes it even spe more special. And people are yeah. still mad over that. <laughs> <laughs> now, from those years, Jeff, what is your favorite? What is your favorite memory from that special run with the Magic? Uh, again, ninety four, ninety five, probably is a season that yeah. brings the best memories. But what is, in your personal opinion, your favorite memory of them all? Oh boy, I, I you know I think it, it's hard not to look at that year. Um, you know, there's just so many things that happened in that 94-90 season that really affected the, the trajectory of the franchise. Little things that people might, you know, just not be aware of. But, um, you know, obviously going into that uh, year, um, for me personally, uh, the year before in the 93-94 season, Penny's rookie year, um, towards the last, you know, 20, 25 games, I had worked my way back into the starting lineup, but um, on April 17th, uh, right as we're heading into the season, um, I tore my ACL. Um, and so I knew going into the following season that we would be a much better team. The word was we got Horace, we were going to get Horace Grant. So I, 
you know, for me, I worked so hard to rehabilitate that injury and came back probably too quickly, but I wanted to be a part of that because I knew how special that would be. Um, so the addition of Horace Grant uh, that year, you know, we picked up Brian Shaw. We added some veteran uh, experience um, in the middle, uh, towards the end of the season. People, you know, there, we, we signed a guy that was playing in Cyprus, uh, by the name of Daryl Armstrong. Uh, hmm. This guy comes in. We don't, you know, it's like, what? And John Gabriel just, you know, had a hunch, you know, that this kid, you know, might be able to help us somewhere or someday. Um, didn't play, right? Just, you know, he was in a suit the whole time. If you watch those little clips, Daryl's up the whole time cheering and things like that. Um, think about that. We've added that guy who would go, to, you know, probably in Magic fan um rankings you know a lot of people would have him in their top five favorite players of all time uh, we added him that year um and so that that you know those are just little things that happened that season that were kind of special um but for me you know obviously beating jordan and the bulls beating chicago um but that indiana pacer series guys that mm. you know that I, I was really i was disappointed i understood it when we were showing the classic games on Fox, we only showed the four wins uh, in right. that series. The losses, other than game six, where they blew us out, those those other two games, games three and four, uh, one of them's a triple overtime game uh, hmm. where Rick Smith hits a, you know, a, uh, a banker from the elbow. Tree Rollins goes for a fake and everything. Just a great game. What a great chess match. And that series, to me, um, you know, I just remember every little part of that. It was just a, a fantastic, in my opinion, one of the great NBA matchups season-wise or series-wise in NBA history. Uh, obviously very nice that that one ended up like it did. And then after that, see, those of us that were on that team, we have some selective amnesia, if you will. So for me, the year ends right there with game seven. The crowd is excited. We've lifted anything after that. Somebody said we went to Houston or something like that. No. I don't remember any that, of that. That so, never happened. Happen. <laughs> so, Jeff, I mean, I, those stories are insane to think about, you know, you being able to have that relationship with some of the guys that are looked at now as like kind of like folklore in a way like they they're not real they're bigger than life um in in yeah. a sense um that had to be an amazing experience and to still be associated with the magic you know these many years um down the line what is that like what what are some players that you're looking at now like oh my god that guy is so fun to watch um that's my favorite player like who are some of those guys for you? <laughs> you know i i really um i, I I really like this team, and you're right. I am very, I'm very blessed to have uh, played with, um, you know, broadcast with. I wasn't, I didn't get a chance to play, but I, you know, I was, I was working doing radio when Tracy McGrady came to Orlando, and you know, uh, so I got to know Tracy a little bit. I mean, you know, the megastar that he has become. Um, you know, Grant Hill. You know, even the disappointment of the injuries and everything, but still. Yeah. You know, just a, a fantastic player. Um, so kind of, you know, that Mount Rushmore of the magic and everything. I've been here through that. And to, to still be a part of this organization um, after all that time it is really a blessing. 
Um, and I, and I, and I take, I don't take that for granted. Um, um, in fact, you know, in, in the broadcast, I'm always trying to connect the past a little bit, you know, uh, some people, times people say a little bit too much to the present, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I have fun with it. I think that's an important part of it. Um, I really like, uh, the group of guys that we have now, you know, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, the difference today is these, these players come in so young um you know you you look back and, and you're you know we've watched even you know with the last dance and we've watched michael jordan um and we saw the greatness right when he comes into the league in 84 and 85 uh and he's you know he's averaging you know 27 28 points a game um but we saw that it took him seven years right like to get over that hump and he comes in at 21 uh 21 years of age and you know having played three years of college in north carolina um and so i always am am hesitant to put too many expectations on our young guys because i really believe that as a player your 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 best years your peak years are are not till i'm saying in general there are exceptions to rules right but you know most guys they begin to peak and really figure it out in that 26 you know, it's a 27, 28, we really see the game slow down and they start to really um, improve. I, I think we saw it over the last couple of years with Nick Vucevic. Um, it's just the game just looks simple to him now, right? It's mm-hmm. just he knows who he is. He knows what he can do. Um, it, it's kind of slowed down. I thought Terrence Ross, we saw that last year. He had his best year. Um, just really understanding who he was as a player and where his strengths were. Um, Evan Fournier was having a great year this year, kind of moving in, right? 27 years yeah. old, um, starting yeah, to understand it. So I, I you know, I, I look at guys that I'm, you ask me who I'm excited about. I'm excited about all of our young guys, right? Um, you know, Jonathan Isaac, I think to me can be whatever he wants to be. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just a freak size wise, his ability to move, um, you know, I think Terrence Ross called him like a, like a baby giraffe or something. I don't really see that. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, it's just, I think the, you know, he's got a huge upside. Obviously, you know, I, I, I don't think, you know, Aaron Gordon is kind of this, we're still waiting to see what he's going to be, right? But then I, I, again, I keep telling you people, he's 24 years old. You know, he's just really just getting started right he's still so young he's got more years to improve um so that's there um i i love the pace at which they're developing mobama i you know Mm -hmm. i know people want to throw him out there and just give it to him and you know there are pros and cons to that but i think for him and his development and being 21 years old just you know being able to play every day and kind of learn from Vucevic, all the little tricks and things like that, I think it's going to be beneficial down the road. And remember, you know, so that window for him, let's say 25, right? We still got four more years to see what Before he's going to be. Yeah. And then, and then again, you know, and then the last guy I guess I would say is, is, is Markel. So Markel Fultz is another one of those young guys with all this potential but he's had a little bit of adversity, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's been set back a little bit. So maybe we're looking at a little bit further out. Maybe not. You know, just depends uh, on him. But I look at him and I see a guy 
um, who just sees the game a little bit differently than everybody else. He plays Mm -hmm. at a pace much more mature than his age. Um, And so I think, you know, if he he develops, you know, the shooting obviously has to get better. I don't think – I think he would, you know, agree with that as well. But so these young guys have so much upside. I just really enjoy watching all of them. They all excite me um, about the promise that they have. Whether we can keep them all together, uh, you know, I don't – that's not my job. That's above (laughs) my pay grade. So I just call what I see. But – you know, I just think they're just going to be wonderful players uh, if they continue on their trajectory and keep working. I, I agree with you. I feel like the 25-26 year range is really when, you know, you really get the the mentality development, the body development. Um, the game starts to slow down for a lot of the players. Um, I can only imagine what, you know, when we first got Jonathan Isaac, he was, you know, he was skin on bones. And now yeah. you can kind of see where the muscle definition comes in. Um, so I, I agree with you 100%. Um, Jeff, we're, we're going to transition to um, something that I'm, I'm a huge fan of. It's called In the Ozone with Jeff Turner. All right. Pretty simple. We're going to ask you oh. a couple questions. Okay. Rap, rapid fire. All right. Oh, boy. I remember I'm old now. My brain doesn't work very fast. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're good. There's no wrong answers. Um, what is your favorite city to visit to on the road? Uh, Chicago. Most memorable moment as a broadcaster. Most memorable moment as a broadcaster. Um, okay, so this one, um, I was doing radio. I broke into broadcasting. Um, David Steele basically got me into broadcasting. It was right. I retired in 96 because of injuries, kind of a uh, few uh, in February, right? I had to step away from the game and didn't know what I was going to be doing. David Steele was doing radio by himself and he said well, why don't you come sit with me and see if you like this for a little bit the team agreed um so i had to learn i've never done any broadcasting before or anything so what people probably don't realize is that you you have this headset on you guys know this you have this headset on and even while you're broadcasting somebody's talking to you right like mm-hmm. especially if a commercial's coming and everything so one of my very first games I'll never forget, I'm making a point, right? Like, I'm, we're going to break. I don't have a whole lot of time. I got to put my thought together. And in my ear, I can hear the producer saying, 10 seconds to break. And as in the middle of talking, I froze, right? Because I, <laughs> I didn't know what to do. David Steele is looking at me. See, we're on radio, so it's okay. Nobody can see it. But he's looking at me, and he's laughing. And I've just, I, I've got nothing. I got nothing's coming out of my mouth. I don't know what to do. And right before, like the producer is at like three seconds, David says, and we'll be back with more insightful commentary from Jeff Turner <laughs> after this commercial break. I will never, ever forget that. It was a great lesson for me and everything like that. So uh, David and I, you know, we're very good friends and everything. We laugh about that today, but he's a great teacher, but it was a very teachable moment. (laughs) I will never, ever forget that as a broadcaster. And lastly, if Dwight had stayed with the Magic, who would have had, in your opinion, the most memorable Magic career? Would it have been Shaq or Dwight? 
Ooh. Oh boy. I, I, I'm guessing, uh, you know, the, I'm thinking the answer to that is, is probably going to be Dwight just because of the longevity of his time in Orlando. I, yeah, I really believe if Dwight makes a different decision and stays, you know, the Amway center is on Dwight Howard Boulevard. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, and if he stays, you know, I just feel like a lot of things, um, you know, we don't break up the thing. And I, that team was good enough. That group, you could have added around Dwight and you could have made another strong run to the finals, I think. Mm-hmm. So as much as I love Shaq, he's my guy. And he took us a long way just based on Dwight's uh, longevity up until that point. I, I think probably Dwight. Jeff, I'll be 100% honest with you. I find you and David Steele so entertaining to watch. If we if we have a game that's on national television, I won't watch it. I'll just listen to your oh, broadcasting. No. <laughs> and, that is very true. And it, it one of my favorite moments, I have to say, is when there's a big play and you're screaming out, Kapaya. I'm, I'm, I am telling you, I, I am in my, my wife looks at me crazy sometimes because I'm screaming it right there with you. I'm running around my house. The whole nine. Um, can you can you just share with us real quick where where exactly did Kapaya come from? In your words, what what does the word Kapaya mean? Well, this is Kapaya is one of those things I just told you guys that I, I I really I try to link the past to the to the present a little bit, and so you know back in those early days when we were an expansion team, um, things were it was different then, right? I mean, we were all. We didn't really have a star, right? We were, you know, we were all very competitive one another. Um, you never knew if you were going to be playing, not playing, or whatever that was. Um, and so, we were we were on each other pretty hard most of the time. So Kapaya comes from we were playing, uh, we were in a game, and we're playing the Golden State Warriors. All right, this is the era of Run TMC. So Tim Hardaway. Uh, Mitch Richmond and uh, Chris Mullins, right? Yeah. yeah. And so they, Tim Hardaway, for whatever reason, is on fire, okay? And Scott Skiles is guarding him. And Jerry Reynolds is injured and sitting at the end of the bench. And Terry Catledge is there with him. And they're both in street clothes. I guess Terry was injured, too. They're both sitting down there in street clothes. And every time Tim would make a shot, you know, he had to cross over. He'd make a shot from the end of the bench. We'd hear Kapaya, Kapaya. <laughs> and you look down there and it's, it's Jerry Reynolds, right? And so it's, and the, and the best part of this is that, and, is that Skiles heard it. Skiles heard everything, right? And he was getting so red. And the rest of us, we're just kind of trying not to laugh too hard, right? Because we know it's getting under Scott's skin. And (laughs) Jerry is just laughing and enjoying himself down there. Somebody uh, told me once that this was like, this was trolling before there was the word trolling, right? (laughs) Our teammates. And so um, that's it. And so after the game, I asked Jerry, I said, Jerry, what, what are you saying? And he said, you know, Kapaya. And I was like, what does that mean? And he said, man, back back when I was growing up, when we were playing, you know, cops and robbers, cowboys in India and everything, when you, you know, had the gun, it was Kapaya, Kapaya. You know, that was the sound that you made and stuff. So I was like, okay, all right. And um, 
so that's you know it's so now if it's a big shot usually it's a three or something like that it's just it's kapaya you know because that's uh it just ties the past in a little bit and i don't know it's fun um Sometimes I overdo it. Sometimes I don't do it enough. <laughs> Hopefully it's a big moment. You know, I just, I get people want more. Some people are like, do away with that. No, I hate that. Gotta keep what it. it no. Um, you know, we just, uh, just try to make it work and just have a little fun with it. I think, you know, hopefully what you guys and, and, and everybody that watches the game get is that David uh, Steele, Dante Marcatelli, um you know our crew in the truck and everything we're all you know we spent so much time together we are all very good friends and we really we really enjoy doing the games being together and hopefully it just comes off as a bunch of guys that are are, are like you we're just watching the game we've got a great relationship and the chemistry's good uh that's what we're after um you know and so if you guys are happy with it, then, then we're happy. So that's, uh, it, it just makes it fun. They're just great people to work with. And it really honestly sounds so natural from, from top to bottom. And again, you guys are entertaining and I don't care who tells you this. There's never too much Kapaya. Never. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, Jeff, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. A lot of fun. And that was quarantine with Jeff Turner. Thank you for listening to the Ozone Podcast, the voice of Magic fans. Be sure to visit our website, theozonepod.com. And remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.